I would like for you to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of Luke. In Luke chapter 11, if you don't have either your device or your, or your Bible with you, then you can look on the screen because it will be there. This morning, I want to speak to you about the power of Christ to bring change. This is not a, uh, an Advent message, uh, and uh, even though that we're kind of into the Advent season, soon to be in the Advent season, but it's just a message that I just want to bring to you. Even though the Advent is a kind of a time when we focus on the humility and the humbleness of Christ coming as a baby, I want to remind you of the power of Christ to bring about change. And that's the focus of this morning. I, I know that we have just had a moment of prayer, but uh, it, it is very common for me just to begin the message by just having a time of prayer. But this morning, I'd like to do it just a little differently. Uh, there are many individuals who are going through just horrendous times because of war. There are individuals who are going through times of great grieving because of death of loved ones in recent time. And the holidays and Christmas and Thanksgiving is not a time of rejoicing, it's a time of pain. And there are those who are innocent who are having to suffer. So I'm going to ask, join with me. It's very common for when a message begins for you to kind of listen to the prayer as we start. But I would like for you to pray. Pray for those who are in the midst of war, those who are innocent who are suffering, and those who are grieving during this season. And I, I would like for you to join with me. Would you do that? Father, in the name of Christ, you are a loving God who does not just turn a blind eye or look the other way. You say that you dwell with the crush. You talk about continuously how that you're present in the time of suffering. And Lord, I pray now for these. I pray, God, for those who are going through great grief because dear loved ones have passed during recent days. And Christmas and Thanksgiving only electrifies the grief. I pray you will comfort them in ways that words will not be able to do. I pray, Father God, for those who are in the midst of war. Would you bring peace to these regions? It seems like our world is consumed with violence. I pray, Father, for peace. I pray also, Father, for the innocent who are suffering. Those, Father, who are under the hand of, uh, of, of those who are just wanting to brutalize and harm. I pray, God, you will give grace and protection in ways that only you can do. We ask, Father, for that in the name of Jesus, who is the strong Son of God. Amen and amen. Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 26. We're going to read through verse 20, and then we're going to jump to verse 24. Are you ready? Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now look at verse 24. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through an arid place seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. 
And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. <sighs> that, that is God's word. I, I, I know that whenever I read this, your first reaction is, oh boy, okay, this is going to be weird. And uh, no, that's not the intention. I, it's not a message on demonology. But I do think that I just need to point out a couple things before I bring really the focus of the message. And that is, Jesus clearly teaches that there are supernatural beings that, are, that, that, that epitomize the malignancy of evil. Those the beings that were created and have a focus and an intention of which to bring about evil and harm and, and as much destruction as possible. You might say, well, wait a minute, uh, this whole passage here is one that I'm not too sure I understand. It's one that, to be honest with you, is kind of confusing. It's a little, it's little mixed messages here. But Jesus is, is clearly teaching the reality of evil. And he's teaching the reality of that. And you, you might say, well, wait a minute. If, if you believe uh, in a pre-scientific era of which that a lot of illnesses and a lot of diseases were attributed to demonic activity, but they really weren't, then, then if you're teaching that, then you're, you're kind of naive. But what I'm saying to you is Jesus is clearly teaching that you are naive if you think that there is not an evil power that is determined to maul and to incarcerate and, and literally leave your faith just a shatter in the same way that we read reports of how the dog, vicious dogs attack and maul, that the enemy wants to maul your faith and maul your life and maul your family. So listen, Jesus clearly taught, he clearly taught that he saw the difference between those who were sick and those who were battling uh, illnesses and chronic uh, situations, and then those who were possessed. He treated them totally different. And, and here in this passage, he is basically doing something that is very clearly separating and clearly showing that. So, but even if you don't want to believe in the demonic, it, it really doesn't impact this message because I have three points for you today. The first one is this, is that, there's many ways to change. There's many ways to have change in your life. The second point that's in this passage is, is that you can, if you use any other way besides Jesus, you're going to be worse off at the end than you were at the beginning. And the third point is this, is that Jesus is the only way that you can have permanent and thorough change. It's important. I want to emphasize two words, thorough and permanent. So here, let's talk about the first one, is that there's many ways to change. When Jesus was casting out the demons, the religious leaders, they were there, and they were ready to pounce. They were, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where individuals were waiting for you to make a mistake in any wording so that they could pounce on it. Uh, it might, that might be what you call Thanksgiving. I don't know, but uh, it, it might be that. But here they were. They were ready to pounce. And they said, aha, look, he's casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And Jesus immediately turns the tables on them and says, hang on. If I'm casting out with Beelzebub, then how are you doing that? Because the, the historian, the Jewish historian Josephus, he said, I barely said that word. He said that the Pharisees had a reputation for casting out demons. 
What Jesus was teaching is that human beings are multidimensional. We're, multi we're, we're psychological, we're physical, we're social, we're relational beings. And he says, here, because of that, and he was showing them, there are many ways in which that you can achieve change. And for example, if someone has a chronic depression, the, the sociologists would say, well, it's because of the culture and the environment in which that they're in. They need to change their environment. The behaviorists will say, well, they were taught to be uh, someone who has a depressive tendency. The, the biologists would say, no, there's a, there's a chemical problem. The synapses in the brain are not functioning, so there needs to be an enhancement of that. The superstitious person might say there's a demon. You see, there's many ways of which change can come about and have positive results. In fact, any religion, any philosophy, any, any theory can produce individuals who will testify, my life has been better because I did my life is better because I started this 12-step. My life is better because I adhere to the guidance and the wisdom. And even religions and even philosophies that are contradictory and, and absolutely opposed to, to the truth of God's Word can show individuals how I have better. Because why? We're different. We're, we're multifaceted beings. And so they can focus on a particular area, maybe on behavioral techniques, and that they improve behavioral techniques. The thing of which that I want to make sure that you understand is that even though that they might be better, that is not truth. So I have, have something I want you to remember, and that is Christianity is not true because it works. It works because it's true. Now, you, you say, well, that's catchy, that's quick. But you've got to understand that there are many things that will bring positive change in your life that are not only wrong, but they are ultimately detrimental. I remember the time whenever I took a team up into the Himalaya Mountains. Up, We were just, just literally uh, a few miles from the Pakistan border and about 50 miles from the Chinese border, way up in the Himalayas, about 15,000 feet. And, I took this team for the purpose of taking the gospel to areas that have never heard the area. And it was pretty much just a, uh, saturated with Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, that was the only religion of that area. And there was temple after temple. And, and it just, it's a demonized religion. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Lots of times here in America, we like to kind of uh, romanticize uh, Eastern philosophies and religions. And we really don't know the truth of them. And, this is a case in point. Tibetan Buddhism is, is demonized. And while we were there and we were taking the gospel, there came a church group from the United States. And it was a small group. It was probably about five or seven individuals. I don't remember the exact number. But we had a small gathering in one of the homes before we would go out and kind of minister. And a lady asked that she would share a testimony. And so and we said, sure. And she said, I just want to tell you that I was battling chronic illness. And it was, it was debilitating. It was absolutely just, just making my life miserable. And I went to a Tibetan uh, monk. And now I am whole. I am healed. And she took her Bible and she, she held it up like this. And she said, I just want you guys to understand before you go out that the God, the God, that I serve is bigger than the God of this book. And I was stunned. I was just stunned, right? Just in the midst of that, because what happened is 
She had a way of getting better, but she had a way that was based in untruth. See, there are many ways in which we can be better. But Jesus clearly taught, and here's my second point, that any other way besides Jesus, you'll be worse off than before. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is probably by uh, just an illustration. Um, those, of us, uh, those of us are male. Uh, whenever you grew up, I don't know if this happened to you, uh, but you probably either had it happen to you or you saw it take place. And that is, let's just say you're, you're six, seven, eight, nine years of age and you, you somehow you stumble, you fall, you have a skin. And, and usually somebody who is well-meaning, somebody who is, who is important in your life will come and kind of swoop you up and say, don't cry. Men don't cry. Don't cry. You know, and, and the, the boy kind of gathers himself, you know, that. Because why? Nobody wants to be an emotional wreck. Nobody. Nobody wants to be in that state. And so now he's learned a way of which that he can, he can, what, you know what? I can sure up whenever I feel emotional breakdown, I can find a way to sure it up. I can find discipline. I can clean my house. But what has he had put in place of that? What he's put in place of that is an overriding possession of the idea of, I can't show weakness. It's hard to have a successful marriage if you are of the mindset you can't show weakness. It's hard to be transparent and intimate with an individual and to pour yourself out if you have the posture of, <clears throat> I can't show weakness. Because then you cannot have that authenticity. You can't have that vulnerability. You can't have that confession. You can't have that willingness to ask for forgiveness. Because why? What you've done is, yeah, you've learned how to discipline. You've learned how to hold on. But it's cost you even that much more. Or maybe I could illustrate with those who have had parents who, who've just come from poverty. Or maybe they, they have immigrated from this country and they, they've worked hard just to eke out a living. They worked hard just to make it. And now they have children and, and they're focused on them doing better. And so they, they say, Get, make good grades. Be focused. Be disciplined. Be, be there. Now be successful in work. Get you a good job. Find you a mate that have, that have a successful family. And then I want you to have a successful business. Because why? You've got to do that. You see? So there's a drive now. What's the drive? Be disciplined. Be driven, be, be performing, be over the top, be there, but at the cost of living life, cost of breathing, the cost of having an experience of which that you can, what, what do we call it? Smell the roses. It's, there's not even an option there. So what the discipline, the cleaning the house has cost you even much, much more. There's, a, there's an old uh, cartoon and uh, those of you who are younger, I just apologize right now. It's an old cartoon uh, by Mutt and Jeff. And it, it's the days, it was way before cell phones and, and series. So let me just say that's where it was. And uh, there's a cartoon whenever uh, Mutt is in the middle of the road. And he's building up this big pile of stones in the middle of the road. And he's piling it up and he's got a lantern. And he's put the lantern on top. And he lit it. And Jeff walks up and he says, Mutt, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm, I'm putting this lantern up here so everybody can see and everybody can make sure that they don't run into that pile of stones. And he says, well, 
Well, why did you build the pile of stones? He said, well, I built the pile of stones so I could put the lantern up there. What happens, that's what happens with our lives. Is that we find an area of struggle in, our, in, in us. We find an area of inconsistency. We find an area of which that we are less than satisfied with. And, and we, we come and we say, okay, God, what I want you to do is I want you to address this. I want you to, I want you to do it. I want you to make my relationships without conflict. I want you to make my, my business successful. I want you to make that. And all along, we are forgetting that there is the wholeness of it. The completeness of it. You got a pile of rocks with a lantern on top. You got a lantern with a pile of rocks on it. And it's just absolutely ironic, isn't it? But we do that in our lives. We're doing that cyclical type thing. Well, why, why do you work? I work because I like, I like to have nice things. I like to have a house. I like to have a nice car. I like to have hobbies. I like to go on vacation. Well, why do you like to go on vacation? Well, I get recharged. Why do you like to get recharged? So that I can go back to work. You see? It's the stone and the lantern. And we kind of keep going with that. And Jesus is saying here that whenever you try to fill your life with something else, you are worse off at the end result. There's a, there, uh, I, I know you guys are just like me. You have a lot of folks in the, in the medical field. And there's a cardinal rule. And the cardinal rule is you do not treat the pain until you know the cause of the pain. You gotta, you gotta know the cause of the pain before you treat the pain. But the medical field, those in the medical profession will tell you that every patient says, address my pain. Address the pain that I have. And then, okay, make that go away and then I'm happy. Knowing that there's a time bomb, a medical time bomb about to go off. Jesus is saying so much the same thing. He's saying, we come to him far too often. Lord, I'm having struggles with my marriage. I'm having difficulties with my kids that seem to be just not responding to me properly in ways of which I want to see. And we want him to stop the things that bring discomfort and pain to us. And he says to us over and over, I want to do something thoroughly and permanently in our life. You say, well... How, 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 does that, how does that work? Here's, here's my third one. Aren't you glad there's only three points, right? Here's my third one. And that is Jesus is the only one who can bring about permanent and thorough, thoroughly, thoroughly changing our lives. <clears throat> he's, uh, he's basically saying to us that it is not just, it's not good enough. It's not going to work. If we say, I believe in Jesus, I believe that there's a heaven and hell, I believe that I need to live my life in accordance to what the Word of God teaches, he says, that is not good enough. He says, what needs to take place is that Jesus has to possess you. Now, I... I know that we don't like the word possess. I, I know it's a very negative word. I know it's a word that, that our first reaction is, whoa, hang on. Because whenever I say somebody's possessed, I usually are talking about somebody who's out of their mind, you know. They are freaked out. They're the ones who paint their faces and put on weird stuff and go to football games and act like a fool, you know. Uh, that, I, that's not me. Well, what we've got to understand is when the word talks about possessed, 
when it talks about that, he uses the example of Ephesians chapter 4. When he talks about Ephesians 4, he says that we need to have the, the mindset that we put off the old and we take on the new. We put off the old and we put on the new. So what is he, what is he trying to say things? He's saying that whenever we allow Jesus to possess us, and we don't just think it's satisfactory to, to adhere to the code, maintain the rules, basically maintain the lifestyle and the culture of Christianity. But whenever we allow Jesus to possess us, that he is able to do something that we cannot do in ourselves. That means that we will not respond instinctively or even, can I word, use the word, animalistically. How many, of you, how many of you have heard the phrase? Well, he's acting just like his dad. Well, that is just like his uncle. i tell you right now. Well, he, he has a temper like that because he's Irish. You know, and I, Irish blood in him, I'm telling you, that is there. You, have you heard that? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You know? And so what happens is whenever we allow Christ to possess us, we now have a capacity... <laughs> of which that we evaluate the way we respond and the way we think and the way we act and the way we behave and the way, the way, the way through the lens of Christ. So we don't look at things and say, well, listen, I, because I, I'm, I'm a Southerner, I have certain patterns. I, I'm hospitable, but I am also have a tendency to be kind of prejudicial about those with education. And so I have a tendency to do that. Well, no. We, with Christ in us, with the renewing of us, we start evaluating and understand that many of the times of how that we try to belittle and put down and bring separation is because of lack of an inferiority in ourselves. And we realize that the gospel-created person doesn't have that and doesn't need that. And thus we're able to see that we don't need separation and belittlement and putting down and, and, and impatience of those who are struggling in life. We don't have to do that because we have a newness in us. You see, that's the difference between trying to just live by the rules and live by the guidelines and live by the standards and allowing Jesus to possess. Far too often we have, and, and, and listen, I, I am, I've been raised in the church I've been a minister of the gospel my entire life. And I can say to you that we are the cause because we wanted Christianity to be easy and, and uh, you know, kind of walk in the door uh, just as without a low barrier, just easily walk in the door. But because of our, our, our want to make sure that we had that low barrier, we really did not teach and we really did not instruct that Christ needs to not, you don't become uh, adherent to the ideals of Christ or the, the culture of Christ or the rules of Christ. You allow Christ to possess you. So thus what's happened is that we in the American church, we're seeing that we brought in, because we did not allow Christ to possess, we brought in the anger. We brought in the separation. We brought in the you see where I'm going with all that. We brought it all in with us. Instead of seeing that being left and the renewing of Christ in us. So what, what is he saying? How does he want us to be possessed? 
He basically is saying he's wanting Christ to be what energizes you. What energizes you. And, and, and I, I know there are seasons for all of us whenever we're energized by you know, our kids growing and things of this nature. But he's saying the overriding mo motivation of us is that we are energized by Christ. So let me give you, let me give you an illustration of this. And I am coming to a close. Jesus sends out his disciples and he sends them out and he says, I want you to, you remember the passage? I, I just want you to take a staff. I want you to take just the bare necessities. And they come back and they are absolutely electrified. And they said, dude, you would not believe. And they start saying what all happens. They say, this took place. This miracle happened. And one, and one or maybe all said, look, even the demons are subject to us. And it's like, wow. And Jesus immediately responds by saying this. He says it in Luke 10, 20. He says, rejoice not that the demons are subject to your name, but that your names are written in heaven. Okay, now, I don't know if you've ever been in a place. I, I have. I've been in whenever, you know, you just either the company or whatever, everybody's going, we did it. And somebody speaks up and says, yeah, but we still got six more to do. You know, you go, oh, no, man. You know, that's what it feels like that, isn't it? What Jesus was saying is this. He, he, I, I think, he was saying, listen, guys, y'all are starting to get confidence. You're starting to get self-confidence. You're starting to understand how, how, how things work in the spiritual. You're starting to get affirmation in this. You're, you're really starting to see results. You're starting to see things take place. He says, I don't want you to be energized by that. I want you to be energized by the fact that you have been redeemed and your names are written in heaven. And that's what he's wanting us to do. He's not wanting us to not be successful in business. Pastor did a wonderful job. We rejoice in that. He's not wanting you to, to celebrate whenever your kids are excelling or whenever you find happiness in your home. Or you, the list could be endless here. What he's wanting you to understand is all of those things are good, but what really is the difference is whenever we understand that through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the power of the cross, and through his redemptive power, we are being transformed, and that's what energizes us. I want to be successful in business so I can bring glory to the kingdom of God. I want to see my children succeed because I want the kingdom of God expanded. You see, that's what energizes us. So let me close with this illustration. One of, uh, uh, I, I, it may not be everybody's, but I do like Lord of the Rings. I, I like the movies, Lord of the Rings. I've seen them. Well, I'm not going to say how many times because that'd be a little embarrassing. But I know them all by heart. But I'll tell you that. I'll give you a hit on that one. But the basic of it is that there's this little hero uh, 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 named Frodo, a little hobbit, a little frog, and around his neck there is a ring that is has this enormous evil power, and it is now consumed him. It's driving him, and it's it's there. It's about his neck. And it just, it just takes him, consumes him. Finally, it comes to the climactic end. Whenever Frodo takes this ring and he throws it, and he throws it into the lava, and there it is gone, and that is broken from him. In the book, you will find that it says that 
Following that, he lays on his bed and every now and then he will clutch his chest and he says, it's gone, it's gone. Many times that's the way it is with Christianity. We have, we have patterns, our weaknesses, our inconsistencies, our struggles, our, uh, those of us in the church, we call them besetting sins. We have them that have controlled us, have, have been about our neck. Maybe discouragement or depression or anxiety. Or, uh, honestly, I could not stop with that list, could I? And it's about our neck. And it's about it. And, and we say, is it possible for me to have freedom from this? And Jesus is saying to us clearly, yes, yes, it is. But you've got to understand, it's not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. We in the church, we use the word sanctification. Sanctification does not mean that I get more discipline so I can do the rules better. Okay? Sanctification means that he does something within us. That he does within us that those fruit that used to bear, those things that which we struggle with, they no longer bear fruit because the root is taken care of. And you're free. And that's when Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Yes. That means complete. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say to you that, you know, that, that this is a therapeutic type, type message. What I'm saying to you is in spite of all of your efforts, in spite of all of your patterns and all the ways that the way to have freedom is for Christ to come in and do a work on the inside and allow him to possess you. But let me end with this. We are incapable of self-evaluating those areas. We are just absolutely incapable. If you were going to ask me to evaluate my health, even though I go to WebMD and say, let me look up the symptoms, you know, I would miss it because why? I don't have the ability to do that. Neither do you. But who does? The Holy Spirit. We have a, we, we, we kind of regulated the Holy Spirit into those power gifts, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. I'm a full gospel. I'm a spirit-filled person. I am a person who believes and operates and wants the gifts of the Spirit in my life. I, I just want to tell you that. I'm not diminishing that in any way. But sometimes we regulate the Holy Spirit to just to that area. What you need to understand is the Holy Spirit is the one that can evaluate where we are unwilling to self-evaluate. And he doesn't do it with the back of a hand or a smack or, or a belittlement or a condemnation. I, I went to the doctor a few months ago and I had a sinus infection and the, and the doctor did not say to me, you idiot, how did you let this happen to you? He just said, hey, let's take care of that. That's what happens. But, listen, we can't do it on ourselves. So this morning, I'm going to ask you, in just a moment of time, just a little bit, I'm going to ask you to give a prayer to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, to the Father, that you would give this prayer to say, I grant you permission to evaluate. I can easily identify the weaknesses, the patterns in my life. But I know that I... I, I could find other ways, but it wouldn't really bring a thorough change in me. What I need is the power of Christ to bring change in me. But I can't see what the real issue is. But Holy Spirit, you do. 
You know exactly. You know the very marrow of my bone. And I want you to do that. Now, whatever we, we kind of make ourselves vulnerable to God that way, normally what we in the American church we do is it's a one-time fits-all. I pray one time and then I go, yep, that's good. I've done it. I punched the ticket. I've said I've done that and I'm good to go. Uh, that's just not going to work here. It's just not. Because, see, here's something of which that you need to be intentional about that you put in your phone and you put it as an alarm. Or you put it in your, you see where I'm going? Where you have to say, I'm intentional that I really want that. There was a, a time, uh, I can name many of them, that there was a time in my life in which that I really wanted the Lord to unveil some things that I was seeing the fruit that was not good and I needed to unveil. And I had to pray that prayer for multiple weeks. Did I pray it every day? I, I can't, no, I did not. But did I pray it intentionally? And also, I did something else, is that many times we pray, we multitask when we pray. I was praying in my car coming over, so I, I, that's not wrong. But there are some times whenever you need to say, I gotta pull aside. I'm seeing the, the ramifications in my family and in my life. I need to pull aside. And I need to just be with the Lord and say, I need, Holy Spirit, you to work on the inside out. It's like redoing a, just an antebellum home. The outside may not change, but the inside is totally new. And that's what he wants to do with us.